0: Volume 2 chapter 48 of The Marble Faun This is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org reading by Lars Rolander The Marble Faun by Nathaniel Hawthorne volume 2 chapter 48 A scene in the Corso On the appointed afternoon Kenyon failed not to make his appearance in the Corso, and at an hour much earlier than Miriam had named. It was carnival time. The merriment of this famous festival was in full progress, and the stately avenue of the Corso was peopled with hundreds of fantastic shapes, some of which probably represented the mirth of ancient times, surviving through all manner of calamity ever since the days of the roman empire for a few afternoons of early spring this mouldy gaiety strays into the sunshine all the remainder of the year it seems to be shut up in the catacombs or some other sepulchral storehouse of the past besides these hereditary forms at which a hundred generations have laughed there were others of modern date the humorous effluence of the day that was now passing it is a day however and an age that appears to be remarkably barren when compared with the prolific originality of former times in productions of a scenic and ceremonial character whether grave or gay to own the truth the carnival is alive this present year only because it has existed through centuries gone by it is traditionary, not actual if decrepit and melancholy rome smiles and laughs broadly indeed at carnival time it is not in the old simplicity of real mirth but with a half-conscious effort like our self-deceptive pretence of jollity at a threadbare joke whatever it may once have been it is now but a narrow stream of merriment noisy of set purpose running along the middle of the corso through the solemn heart of the decayed city without extending its shallow influence on either side nor even within its own limits does it affect the mass of spectators but only a comparatively few in street and balcony who carry on the warfare of nosegays and counterfeit sugar-plums the populace look on with staid composure the nobility and priesthood take little or no part in the matter and but for the hordes of anglo-saxons who annually take up the flagging mirth the carnival might long ago have been swept away with the snowdrifts of confetti that whiten all the pavement no doubt however the worn-out festival is still new to the youthful and light-hearted who make the worn-out world itself as fresh as adam found it on his first forenoon in paradise it may be only age and care that chill the life out of its grotesque and airy riot with the impertinence of their cold criticism kenyon though young had care enough within his breast to render the carnival the emptiest of mockeries contrasting the stern anxiety of his present mood with the frolic spirit of the preceding year he fancied that so much trouble had at all events brought wisdom in its train. But there is a wisdom that looks grave and sneers at merriment, and again a deeper wisdom, that stoops to be gay as often as occasion serves, and oftenest avails itself of shallow and trifling grounds of mirth, because, if we wait for more substantial ones, we seldom can be gay at all. Therefore had it been possible, kenyon would have done well to mask himself in some wild hairy visage and plunge into the throng of other maskers as at the carnival before then donatello had danced along the corso in all the equipment of a fawn, doing the part with wonderful felicity of execution and revealing furry ears which looked absolutely real and miriam had been alternately a lady of the antique regime in powder and brocade and the prettiest peasant girl of the campagna in the gayest of costumes while hilda sitting demurely in a balcony had hit the sculptor with a single rosebud, so sweet and fresh a bud that he knew at once whose hand had flung it these were all gone all those dear friends whose sympathetic mirth had made him gay. Kenyon felt as if an interval of many years had passed since the last carnival. He had grown old, the nimble jollity was tame, and the maskers dull and heavy. The corso was but a narrow and shabby street of decaying palaces, and even the long blue streamer of Italian sky above it not half so brightly blue as formerly yet if he could have beheld the scene with his clear natural eyesight he might still have found both merriment and splendor in it everywhere and all day long there had been tokens of the festival in the baskets brimming over with bouquets for sale at the street corners or borne about on people's heads while bushels upon bushels of variously colored confetti were displayed, looking just like veritable sugar-plums, so that a stranger would have imagined that the whole commerce and business of stern old Rome lay in flowers and sweets. And now in the sunny afternoon there could hardly be a spectacle more picturesque than the vista of that noble street stretching into the interminable distance between two rows of lofty edifices, from every window of which, and many a balcony, flaunted gay and gorgeous carpets, bright silks, scarlet cloths with rich golden fringes, and goblin tapestry, still lustrous with varied hues, though the product of antique looms. Each separate palace had put on a gala-dress, and looked festive for the occasion, whatever sad or guilty secret it might hide within. Every window, moreover, was alive with the faces of women, rosy girls, and children, all kindled into brisk and mirthful expression by the incidents in the street below. In the balconies that projected along the palace front stood groups of ladies, some beautiful, all richly dressed scattering forth their laughter shrill yet sweet and the musical babble of their voices to thicken into an airy tumult over the heads of common mortals all these innumerable eyes looked down into the street the whole capacity of which was thronged with festal figures in such fantastic variety that it had taken centuries to contrive them and through the midst of the mad merry stream of human life rolled slowly onward a never-ending procession of all the vehicles in rome from the ducal carriage with the powdered coachman high in front and the three golden lackeys clinging in the rear down to the rustic cart drawn by its single donkey among this various crowd at windows and in balconies in cart cab barouche or gorgeous equipage or bustling to and fro afoot, there was a sympathy of nonsense, a true and genial brotherhood and sisterhood, based on the honest purpose, and a wise one too, of being foolish altogether. The sport of mankind, like its deepest earnest, is a battle, so these festive people fought one another with an ammunition of sugar-plums and flowers. Not that they were veritable sugar-plums, however, but something that resembled them only as the apples of Sodom looked like better fruit. They were concocted mostly of lime, with a grain of oat or some other worthless kernel in the midst. Besides the hailstorm of confetti, the combatants threw handfuls of flour or lime into the air, where it hung like smoke over a battlefield, or, Descending, whitened a black coat or priestly robe, and made the curly locks of youth irreverently hoary. At the same time, with this acrid contest of quicklime, which caused much effusion of tears from suffering eyes, a gentler warfare of flowers was carried on, principally between knights and ladies. Originally, no doubt, when this pretty custom was first instituted, it may have had a sincere and modest import each youth and damsel gathering bouquets of field flowers or the sweetest and fairest that grew in their own gardens all fresh and virgin blossoms flung them with true aim at the one or few whom they regarded with a sentiment of shy partiality, at least if not with love often the lover in the corso may thus have received from his bright mistress, in her father's princely balcony, the first sweet intimation that his passionate glances had not struck against a heart of marble. What more appropriate mode of suggesting her tender secret could a maiden find, than by the soft hit of a rose-bud against a young man's cheek? this was the pastime and the earnest of a more innocent and homelier age nowadays the nosegays are gathered and tied up by sordid hands chiefly of the most ordinary flowers and are sold along the corso at mean price yet more than such venal things are worth buying a basketful you find them miserably wilted as if they had flown hither and thither through two or three carnival days already muddy too having been fished up from the pavement where a hundred feet have trampled on them you may see throngs of men and boys who thrust themselves beneath the horses hoofs to gather up bouquets that were aimed amiss from a balcony and carriage these they sell again and yet once more and ten times over defiled as they all are with the wicked filth of Rome. Such are the flowery favours, the fragrant bunches of sentiment, that fly between cavalier and dame, and back again, from one end of the corso to the other. Perhaps they may symbolise, more aptly than was intended, the poor, battered, wilted hearts of those who fling them, hearts which, crumpled and crushed by former possessors, and stained with various mishap, have been passed from hand to hand along the muddy streetway of life, instead of being treasured in one faithful bosom. These venal and polluted flowers, therefore, and those deceptive bonbons, are types of the small reality that still subsists in the observance of the carnival. Yet the government seemed to imagine that there might be excitement enough, wild mirth perchance, following its antics beyond law, and frisking from frolic into earnest, to render it expedient to guard the corso with an imposing show of military power. Besides the ordinary force of gendarmes, a strong patrol of papal dragoons in steel helmets and white cloaks were stationed at all the street corners detachments of french infantry stood by their stacked muskets in the piazza del popolo at one extremity of the course and before the palace of the austrian embassy at the other and by the column of antonius midway between had that changed tiger-cat the roman populace shown only so much as the tip of his claws the sabres would have been flashing and the bullets whistling in right earnest among the combatants who now pelted one another with mock-sugar plums and wilted flowers. But to do the Roman people justice, they were restrained by a better safeguard than the sabre or the bayonet. It was their own gentle courtesy which imparted a sort of sacredness to the hereditary festival. At first sight of a spectacle so fantastic and extravagant, A cool observer might have imagined the whole town gone mad, but in the end he would see that all this apparently unbounded license is kept strictly within a limit of its own. He would admire a people who can so freely let loose their mirthful propensities, while muscling those fiercer ones that tend to mischief. Everybody seemed lawless, nobody was rude if any reveller overstepped the mark it was sure to be no roman but an englishman or an american and even the rougher play of this gothic race was still softened by the insensible influence of a moral atmosphere more delicate in some respects than we breathe at home not that after all we like the fine italian spirit better than our own popular rudeness is sometimes the symptom of rude moral health but where a carnival is in question it would probably pass off more decorously as well as more airily and delightfully in rome than in any anglo-saxon city when kenyon emerged from a side lane into the corso the mirth was at its height out of the seclusion of his own feelings He looked forth at the tapestried and damask-curtained palaces, the slow-moving double line of carriages, and the motley maskers that swarmed on foot, as if he were gazing through the iron lattice of a prison window. So remote from the scene were his sympathies, that it affected him like a thin dream, through the dim, extravagant material of which he could discern more substantial objects— while too much under its control to start forth broad awake just at that moment too there came another spectacle making its way right through the masquerading throng it was first and foremost a full band of martial music reverberating in that narrow and confined though stately avenue between the walls of the lofty palaces and roaring upward to the sky with melodies so powerful that it almost grew to discord next came a body of cavalry and mounted gendarmes with great display of military pomp they were escorting a long train of equipages each and all of which shone as gorgeously as cinderella's coach with paint and gilding like that too they were provided with coachmen of mighty breadth and enormously tall footmen in immense powdered wigs, and all the splendor of gold-laced three-cornered hats and embroidered silk coats and breeches. By the old-fashioned magnificence of this procession it might worthily have included His Holiness in person, with the suit of attendant cardinals, if those sacred dignitaries would kindly have lent their aid to heighten the frolic of the carnival but for all its show of a martial escort, and its antique splendor of costume, it was but a train of the municipal authorities of Rome, elusive shadows every one, and among them a phantom, styled the Roman senator proceeding to the Capitol. The riotous interchange of nosegays and confetti was partially suspended while the procession passed. One well-directed shot, however, it was a double handful of powdered lime flung by an impious New Englander, hit the coachman of the Roman senator full in the face, and hurt his dignity amazingly. It appeared to be his opinion that the republic was again crumbling into ruin, and that the dust of it now filled his nostrils, though in fact it would hardly be distinguished from the official powder with which he was already plentifully bestrewn. While the sculptor, with his dreamy eyes, was taking idle note of this trifling circumstance, two figures passed before him hand in hand. The countenance of each was covered with an impenetrable black mask, but one seemed a peasant of the campagna, the other a contadina in her holiday costume. End of chapter 48 Volume 2 Read by Lars Rolander